74% of people said they would quit their current job to get a job that lets them work remotely. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Another week, Blake. Another week. Congratulations are in order. Congratulations, David. You made the Accounting Today Top 100 Most Influential list for the first time. It is the first time. And congratulations to you as well, because you also made the list. Well, yes, I did. And we actually share the same spot or slot, I should say. I, so I think we each we... half got on the list. Well, I don't, I'm, you know, I'm not going to put that on my LinkedIn profile. I'm just going to put the whole thing. People can go look at the list and the link is in the show notes and they can see all the folks who made the list, uh, some friends of the show, people who have been on the show. I think it was a different list this year. They kind of mix things up. And they frame it as, as quote unquote, a very controversial list, So, which maybe it's done on purpose to get more attention and people talking about it more. And there's a lot of great people in this industry because they have that sidebar of like the 20 up and comers or whatever they want to call that sidebar they do. And you look in that list, you're like, geez, all those people should be on this. The only, the only knock on that whole thing is the format Accounting Today puts out the list in. So we'll have a link in the show notes, but it's like a, a weird, it feels like a late 90s fake magazine. Where, hey, we're going to put a magazine on the internet. Oh, yeah. And it's I hard wish, to click around. Yeah. It's hard to send links to people. It's just weird. Yeah. Well, I, I wish they had just made it into a blog post. I don't know what's going on with that like PDF kind of semi-PDF reader thing. Anyway, you can get through it, uh, get to it through the link in the show notes and uh, check out the whole list. And this time, also what's different is they ranked the top 15. So I guess the the top 100 voted on who they think are most influential and that list became the top 15. And they actually- We're not that on that list. list. No, we're the, definitely not, not on that list. I don't, I don't even think we were close. I mean, yeah. <laughs> we were not uh, an option. <laughs> they, they have another list they didn't publish. It's like the least influential in accounting. Uh, and we're probably on that one. Because uh, I'm sure most of might... the people on the top 15 have no idea who we are. It was interesting. John Garrett made it. We made it. So like podcasters are on the list. Mm -hmm. There's uh, YouTube people. There's podcasters. Like other media forums are making the list, which was uh, interesting. There's politicians. And, there's yeah, leaders at big firms. Speaking of digital, I was really happy to see Scott Zaret, uh, founder of CPA Academy on the list because that is like changed how, at least in my opinion, changed how CPE is delivered. Really cool to see digital, people who are doing digital stuff getting on there. Yeah. So, so um, congratulations to everybody who's yes. on that. Congratulations. It's really, really cool. All right. So what is your top story of the week, David? That was it. <laughs> we just don't know. <laughs> that was it? Okay. My top story is the also accounting today. They have their year ahead for accounting 2020 in numbers. They do this annual survey of accountants and accounting firms, 600 firms of all sizes. They do it in late October. They publish it toward the end of the year. That is out and there's lots of stats in that to talk about. So that'll be my story. But I think we got to read some reviews first, right? Yeah, we got some reviews that came in. And then we also have a couple updates from the last episode. So let's hit those reviews first. I'll read the first one here. The only accounting podcast that won't put you to sleep. If you're looking for someone to summarize all the important stuff we in the accounting industry need to know on a weekly basis, I would highly recommend this podcast. Blake and David succinctly digest each week's news and tech developments and its latest scandals in an entertaining way with great insight. I look forward to each new episode. Well done. That is from Grow Your Profit on Apple Podcasts. 
And our second review this week, best way to keep up to date on cloud tech slash accounting news. Thanks, Blake and David, for the great content. I started my cloud accounting firm in Canada about three years ago and was always listening for relevant accounting podcasts. There was a lot out of Australia and New Zealand, but I struggled to find great North American-based program. This fit the bill, and I was an early and avid listener. Thanks for continuing to bring great insights and keep us in the know. Your friends in the North are listening. Alyssa Bryden, CPA, Virtual Heights Accounting. Thanks, Alyssa. Yes, thank so you. cool to know that we've got so many Canadian listeners and you know we're we're a North American podcast, not an American podcast. We have to we're remember a, that too. We're a global podcast. We're a global podcast. That's right. Coming to podcast. you from coming to you from southwestern United States. Huh. <laughs> I, the location where but we you've recorded in other cities. We've recorded That's in right. cities all over. We haven't well, recorded internationally yet in another, but we've recorded from lots of hotel rooms. Actually, speaking of, I'm headed to the Digital CPA Conference immediately after we finish recording today. So we're going to do a, a snappy episode, a quick episode, try to get through as much as we can in like half an hour. So if I drone on and on and on, you're going to miss your flight? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about this accounting today. Uh, you're ahead for accounting in numbers. Yeah. And then we'll do the follow-up to last week. How about okay, that? Okay, that works. So there were some really interesting insights. Great survey. I highly recommend everyone take a look at it. Uh, one that really stuck out to me was accounting firms' biggest concerns in 2020. And they divide this up by large and small firms. Large firms, it's pretty typical. It's kind of the same as it was last year. The top concern, 42% said recruiting, retaining good employees is their biggest concern. Continuing down the list in the 30 percentile, acquiring and retaining new clients, and then keeping up with new technology keeping up with regulatory change, data and IT security. And then the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act actually went way down to 21%. I guess the large firms have kind of figured out what they need to do with that uh, and succession planning. So uh, recruiting, retaining good employees is always the top concern for big firms. Now for small firms, it's actually not that. They don't even mention recruiting and retaining good employees. The number one concern, 42% of small firms, their biggest concern is keeping up with new technology. And that is up from 29% last year, huge jump. So what this means to me is that uh, small firms are starting to really think about their tech strategy. It's starting to really hit mainstream, 42%. Like that's a lot. After that, we've got acquiring and retaining new clients. That's 37%. Keeping up with regulatory change, data and IT security, tax cuts and jobs act, and then remaining relevant to clients. Now, are they uh, showing these year over year changes? Uh, well, they just happened to mention the year-over-year -year change for the keeping up with new technology because that was such a big change. Most of the time, these don't change a whole lot. They they go small percentiles or small amounts every year. So there are trends. Uh, it would be interesting to compare long-term over like five years or 10 years what the change has been, but uh, we'd have to go do a bunch of work to figure that out. Oh. <laughs> So, so and this, today, this is not a great, we, we will talk yeah. about this article if you do a decade long comparison of all your surveys. Yeah, that would be really cool to see. Um, or maybe we, maybe we should get an intern at this point, David, you know, and, and just have them do it. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to be an intern for the Cloud Accounting Podcast and you're listening, hey, let us know. I'm just tossing that out there right now. You do that. That would be great. Um, yeah. So um, expectations for the 2020 tax season, 59% say it's going to be better than 2019, 5% say it's going to be worse. About the same, 36%. So overall, either the same or better than 2019 makes sense given that uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act made everybody's life a uh, living hell last year. 
Another thing that we've talked about, actually, that's relevant to the show uh, that we're going to, some of the stories we're going to be talking about later on this show uh, is, will your staff work Saturdays in tax season? We talked about this before. Should you make your staff work on Saturdays? That has actually been declining, but it stayed the same uh, from last year to 2019. 39% of firms require their staff to work all Saturdays in tax season. 27% 27% only some Saturdays, and 24% say no if work is finished, 10% not at all. So that's still a pretty good chunk that are requiring their staff to work all Saturdays in tax season. And the question is, is that work required from home or at the office? And I'm going to suspect that if they're requiring their staff to work on all Saturdays, probably most of the time it's going to be at that office because otherwise, uh, how would you know they're working, right? What else here looks like? Uh, more firms are getting involved in payroll, uh, in CAS. Those two are growing a lot. Payroll, about half of firms offer it now, 53%. 20% plan to add it. So that's good news for the payroll processors or the, the payroll apps out there. 20% of firms plan to add it. For CAS, only 29% currently offer client accounting services or outsourced accounting, and 22% plan to offer it or add it in 2020. That is huge growth. And uh, overall, firms are planning to increase tech spending a little bit. Uh, In terms of remote staff, 64% of firms have no remote staff, and the rest have one, two, or three or more. Only 64%, 64%, however, do not have any fully fully remote staff, I should say. Uh, And those are the highlights for me. Cool. Sounds uh, like I said, I would love to see year over year longer trends. That'd be great on that. Uh, so I've- oh, one more bonus stat. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, I'm a little right. disorganized Good. today. David, just uh, take a guess uh, if you're not looking at this. How many firms, uh, small and mid-sized, do you think are on LinkedIn? How, what percentage? Oh. And I, you can actually say I, Facebook I, too. I, LinkedIn I, and Facebook. It's got to be pushing 80, 90%. Uh, you are way too optimistic, I'm afraid. It's only in the 50s. Wow. of small firms are on LinkedIn. 53% of small firms are on Facebook. And mid-sized firms, you'd think that would be more, right? No. 56% on LinkedIn, 59% on Facebook. Even the large firms doesn't even break 80%. Only 78% of large firms are involved in social media on LinkedIn. So how are all these like LinkedIn uh, will help you get clients, accounting firm, coaching people, how are they reaching half their potential customers if they're not on LinkedIn or Facebook? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, uh, good question. I, I wonder if cold the, calling on the, the phone question, are they doing the same well, thing? I wonder if the question is about whether or not they're like involved in social media, like from a firm perspective, right? Like you have a company page that you actively promote content on, yep. or if it's just all individual. Because I can imagine, like a, the partners are probably all on LinkedIn, right? I mean, you got to be there. But maybe the firm doesn't have somebody who's doing social media for the firm. It's just individuals. I mean, just us doing on the show. I mean, we have all our socials. I mean, you and yeah. I both have our own personal socials, and it's work trying to do the show ones as well. Like, yep. So I, I, I get why they may not have the firm as a presence on, on on the. I, I get less for Facebook, but I definitely think more on LinkedIn. Like I think maybe as people are more comfortable with a business relationship there, possibly. But mm-hmm. I guess we'll see. Uh, I have a couple things from last week to update on. Yeah. All right. So last week we talked about um, Cake HR. So Sage bought Cake HR. 
Yes. And I misread the article. And then the article actually left out possible information. So the uh, one of the founders of KKHR reached out to me on Twitter and just uh, gave me a little correction. So, okay. um, and I can't figure out. So his Twitter handle is Ernesto. And it says Nori on Twitter. But then he says, hi, Norbert's here. So I'm not sure of the exact name here. feels like there's three mm-hmm. versions of a name. So he just uh, pointed out that, hey, they're, they span it's they're in 60 plus countries. Because I think last year, last week I said that they were only in um, the UK and Australia, UK, yeah. but that was in reference to actually Sage Intact. The article just didn't make it very clear, so I misread that. Uh, okay, and then they actually don't do any payroll yet. Our services they do not offer payroll so, services; it's just HR management type services. Interesting. So Sage then needs to acquire a payroll company as well to bundle into their Sage accounting, unless they've already done that, and we just are not informed. I mean, Sage, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Sage accounting is not like big in in the United States, so I'm very ignorant of it. So maybe if somebody knows, they could uh, uh, reach out and let us know if there is an integrated payroll solution that's owned by Sage. And they're, like doing payroll in multiple countries is very very hard. Mm-hmm. Like that's oh hard. really hard. So so insanely hard. So that's where it's really interesting as you're seeing M Zero's partnering with Gusto here in the states, and and Tuit yep. partnered with uh, KeyPay in Australia. I think and Tuit partnered with a payroll provider in the UK, um, payroll provider in Canada, like. You almost have to utilize uh, an app or a company that's in each region because it's just payroll is just complex. And like, I think yep. there's dreams of one company that does payroll in every single country, but it's not really a never. Yeah, not going to be a little hard. For, um, yeah. And then another kind of tie back into last week. This is also from uh, Twitter. Um, Alicia, whose Twitter handle is get off underscore my lawn, so <laughs> she posted a uh, a letter. So this this is about half a day after. We recorded last week. And so, remember, we were talking about the the gold rush of apps. It's over, mm-hmm. right? You have to start building new SaaS app type models, which include adding services and which is the QB Live model. And the, the article really pointed out, these, this is the new business model. You kind of have to go down this path. Well, she posted a letter. She got a physical paper letter, a photo that she got from Sage. And she made a comment and I'll read her tweet. She said, quote unquote, the plot thickens. Sage Partners knows QuickBooks mistake is a bigger than what they want to believe it is. And then she CC'd us on this. So this image, uh, the base of the letter from Sage clearly jabs about some accounting software packages are going to try and steal your clients. It's the headline is a partner you can trust in this letter. So they were mailing these letters out to probably QuickBooks partners, right? Yeah. Trying to get them to switch to Sage Business Cloud Accounting. It says, are you worried your software provider may be stealing your clients? You need a secure accounting solution that will keep your firm's best interest in mind, ensure your financial data is safe, and protect your client base. And then they go on to talk about Sage Business Cloud Accounting. Yeah. So. And, and, and so where I'm coming from on this, like I was already like 99.9% sure. Like there's no way Zero and Sage can't go to this model. Right, like they're all going to have to do it. But then after you surfaced that article last week about this SaaS gold rush, I'm a hundred percent sure they have to do it. And so I'm wondering what, how are communications like this going to come back to bite? Because I think Zero also put out a communication like this right after QB Live was announced. Are they going to come right. back to bite them? Like, like are they setting themselves up for? like setting up a bad expectation because they're public mm-hmm. companies, the street investors, that article was not from an investor. Investors are going to demand that they do this and they've been communicating it. We'll never do this. And I think that's, it's just, it might bite them eventually here. Or maybe people will just forget about it. So, so anyways, uh, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I, I think there's golden there about, it's not just Blake and I talking about these new models, right? Others outside of our industry are noticing these new business models. Continuing on with app news, zero is 
changing their pricing, and big news, they are also bundling HubDoc with Zero. Starting on March 18th, 2020, the price of Zero early growing and established plans is increasing by $2 a month in the United States. Cashbook and Ledger, no price increase, that's not changing, business as usual. And then in exchange, essentially for that price increase, Zero is going to include HubDoc for that price, which is normally $20 a month per client. Now you get that included with zero early growing and established plans. So David, did you see this coming? Was this something that you saw on the horizon when zero acquired HubDoc? I mean, obviously they're going to bundle and offer a cheaper price like to your, you know, the existing customers. It doesn't mean it's going to be a closed platform or anything like that. It's just, of course, like there's somebody, some sort of bundling or price discount um, that, that totally makes sense to me. I noticed on the socials, people were, some people were shocked by this. Some people were upset by this. Some people thought it was really good. Like, hey, for two bucks more, now I get this $20 program. Well, um, <laughs> and, and the partners who are currently using that as their tech stack, Zero and HubDoc, man, they are really happy because it just cut their HubDoc cost by 90%. Especially if you've already figured in this into your uh, fixed fee or value billing model, right? Right. Your cost just finally went down. You just got 18 bucks back per client to utilize on other SaaS, right? Or, uh, or, or whatever you want, right? Maybe it's just profit. So, it's not accounting podcast uh, t-shirts. Yeah, I think this is brilliant, especially since, to be honest, and this was part of the discussion, it's not just me, people were talking about this on online. Uh, you know, HubDoc has not done a lot in the way of feature improvements in a while. The user interface could use some improvement. So it's not the same level of product as Zero in terms of polish. And so I think for Zero to try and sell it as a Zero product didn't make a lot of sense unless they were going to put a ton of resources into it. And so making it free or included, you know, it'll it allows that existing product to add value without people feeling like, hey, come on guys, this needs more work. Um, and you know, admittedly it, it does, right? Like any product it's, it's younger than zero. It's not been around as long. So hopefully they'll continue to work on it. Right. And not just, um, now give it away for free, but I think it was a really smart move. And I would anticipate auto entry becoming free as part of the Sage cloud accounting uh, offering as well. It would make total sense, especially since QuickBooks now has that integrated uh, receipt processing. Yeah. It may, it makes sense to bundle like your existing services that offer them to your own customers at a cheaper price, or I, I get it. Yeah. This, the, I, I don't know if it's actually news, but obviously we have to cover it because that's what people are talking about. I think I think it's a yeah. natural uh, thing. Uh, speaking of something else, people are talking about that's an app update. So in QuickBooks Online, there's a plus sign, and you click that mm-hmm. to add. It's a quick way to click and access all the things you want to add, any transaction types to QuickBooks Online. They moved the plus sign, so it moved kind of from the upper right hand corner to the left hand um, uh, menu bar along with the other actions you'd be clicking. So if you're, so instead of your folks being on the left margin bar and then shifting to the right when you want a new, new transaction, you're just all in the same spot, which is fine. But it you know people train themselves, right? And so I saw a couple of funny tweets about it. Somebody said like for five years, they were a QuickBooks trainer. And every class, they told people, this is the most important button. It's always in the right-hand <laughs> corner and now it moves. So there's a little of that. But then I talked to uh, Kathy Iconis loosely was telling me that. So she has her, uh, her website, QBO Chat. Mm-hmm. And she has lots of blog posts and people go there for help and, and, and QBO type resources. And she said that instantly one of her top search terms is where's the plus sign. <laughs> like, so, so this move, yeah. people did not find it. Like, it moved and actually changed, changed to more of an oval as well. So 
it's just uh, it's new. If you're looking for it and you're listening to the podcast and you still can't find it, it's over there on the left margin now. <laughs> so it's kind of from the right to the yes, left. Yeah. That is confusing though, and maybe. Small changes like that should be communicated, like with a big pop up. Well, or they, something. They, there is a pop up at least, so I don't know if that pop up was added a couple of days okay. later. But there is a pop up that draws attention that it's been moved over to the left. Well, hey, while we're speaking about app changes, a small but important update from Practice Ignition that I wanted to highlight from last month. Now you can get paid faster with client self-service payment retries. So previously with Practice Ignition, if a client's credit card or payment method failed, you had to get involved. It wasn't easy for them to go and retry the failed payment themselves. Now clients can do it. They'll get notified and then they can say, charge me again. And so less problems for accounting firms or less issues when it comes to like a credit card changing or whatnot. Oh, that's good. So, yeah. Um, I have a small update on Canopy. So, I think last week we talked about how Canopy's CEO uh, was leaving the company. Yeah. Well, he got booted. booted. Apparently, you know, yeah, after that, uh, the, all those layoffs they had to do, something. Failed yeah. product releases, et cetera. So, Canopy yeah. named a new CEO now and they raised an additional $13 million in funding. All right. Um, from the existing investors. So they're going to pivot and just focus, double down on their existing tax um, practice management software. They they are unpivoting. Or unpivoting, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Which, so that's which is the original. Yeah. Which is the original. The, orig- the original thing was the practice management solution, right? And then they added, they, they said, we're going to do tax too. And they're going back to practice management. Yeah, and it sounds li- like the fact that the existing investors put more money in tells me that the runway of what money they probably had left was probably running out very fast, but they obviously cared and they believe in enough of the core product and the opportunity there to invest more. But it sounds like, like, like based on our observation camp over last year, it was highly mismanaged. Like people made a lot of mistakes or big, or they placed the wrong big bets. My my theory is they they just got too ambitious, tried to grow too quickly. And it was a lot harder than they thought it was going to be. And tax is really hard. Yeah. Or everybody be building a tax product. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Everybody's building a timesheet app or a dashboard app because those are easy, apparently. So, but this episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by OnPay. Many times when choosing a payroll service, you have to choose between a new startup with a great app or an established company whose tech may feel a little behind the times. With OnPay, you get the best of both worlds. A great app from an established company that's providing payroll for over 30 years in all 50 states. OnPay is an easy-to-use, full-service payroll with simple, straightforward pricing, and it includes all their features. Employee self-onboarding, HR tools, health insurance, workers' comp tracking, and 401k. And with an accountant's dashboard and partner program, combined with best-in-class integrations with Zero and QuickBooks, OnPay is the right fit for all your clients, whether they have just one or 500 employees. They also handle all the complicated stuff that other payroll providers don't, like agricultural payrolls, including Form 943, multi-state payrolls, and employees with H-2A visas. I'm really excited to tell you that OnPay is offering an exclusive promo code only for the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast to get three free months of OnPay payroll service for any of your clients that you set up by February of 2020. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash onpay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-N-P-A-Y. And use code CAP3FREE when you sign up your clients. That is C-A-P, the number three, F-R-E-E. And to be clear, you cannot get this promo anywhere else. It's only available to the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast. 
follow on to the Bill.com news we've covered. Bill.com uh, filed to go public a few weeks ago. They kind of surprised me because they only filed for a $100 million IPO and they're worth over a billion dollars. And so that's kind of like a small amount. They have now boosted their target on the IPO to raise nearly $183 million. So they're going way up. It's a very exact amount. It was very calculated and thought out. Like, I, yeah, maybe that was the original amount. Like, well, and that's then, it, $85 million, I think more. Or just go for another yeah. $100 million. You're already like, it's yeah, interesting that how, uh, how exacting that is. So we got like 10 minutes left before I got to run. Do we want to talk about remote work or do we got any other stuff to hit before that? So before we get into remote work, did you see the op-ed piece from Ronica Aerosmith about celebrity keynotes? Yes. And I, I'm curious to know what you think. I I kind of agree with her. She was not impressed with the celebrity keynotes that happened at QuickBooks Connect. Mm-hmm. Um, and she goes like pretty hard on them about how they, they really didn't there was no value for as accountants or small business owners. She went pretty, pretty hard on them. She actually even said that she got up and left one of them. Um, and, yep. and then she's questioning the whole need of these keynotes for her as a reporter. She'd rather see somebody show something about the product or a, a VP or some, you know, talk about things like that. And I, I get where she's coming from. And I kind of agree uh, uh, to some extent. And do you remember when we were at Sage intact and we were walking away out of the, after the inspirational keynote, we were walking down the hallway and we were both just like, what was the point of that, right? Which I don't even remember who spoke. It was the painter guy. He he. Would, oh yeah, the guy he like he paints on stage, and then talks and does inspirational speaking while he paints. Yeah, and it like had nothing to do with accounting or finance or anything. I mean, vaguely kind of not even business related. Yeah, and so I think that and so I'm trying to and and I totally hear where she's coming from and like my take is I'm not sure. At one level, I agree. I not, I don't think the keynotes were outstanding at mm-hmm. this year at Quipper's Connect. But on the other hand, I don't know. Am I tainted because, oh, I got to see Oprah once and I saw the Magic Johnson and I saw, um, you know. Yeah. You know, any of the stuff, any of the stuff can be hit or hit or miss. And I think part of the problem with the celebrity keynotes is that, especially with the big ones, they do the same talk for all sorts of different groups. And so, of course, it can't possibly be targeted or specific to what we do. And so, it's sometimes it's very general and it's not very relevant. Yeah, I think that's the the takeaway for me is if I look think back to like the first QuickBooks Connects, right? People talked more about their small business problems. And, and, you know, Martha Stewart was talking about how her friends and neighbors made fun of her. Oh, you're opening this cute little business up in your garage, right? And like, those are true small business problems. And I feel like the current, even though I could relate when Jade Simmons was talking about how her kid, you make eggs for him on Monday and they don't want to eat them on Friday, the same eggs. And it drives you crazy as a parent. Like, I can relate to that. It's not that they weren't relatable. I'm just like, are we hearing the small business story? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. and that's what I like. Um, and, and one that springs to mind that was really good is at one of the zero cons, they had Marcus Limonis come and the speak. Prophet, yeah. The yeah, the guy from the show The Prophet. And like he's an entrepreneur, he's a businessman, he helps people with their businesses. That was all super relevant and really cool. He talks about like personal responsibility and uh, like as a business owner myself or you know, former business owner. Well, I guess the podcast is a business, so that counts too. It, it really re- resonated with me. Whereas like Ashton Kutcher at QuickBooks Connect, he's an investor. He's a celebrity. I don't know. I didn't have much – like obviously, I think he's cool and I, it's cool to see Ashton Kutcher, but I don't, I don't relate to him. 
Let's talk about remote work. Yes. Since we're both remote recording this. Yes. And we promised we would talk about it <laughs> last episode, so we better yeah. do it. I'm trying to remember actually what got us on that subject. I don't even remember. You mentioned that there's some article about, hey, p- remote workers in Japan got way more efficient. Oh, yes. And then um, coincidentally, I had an article about Zapier. So they have the remote work report from Zapier's out. Okay. Here's what started this whole thing was Microsoft doing an experiment in Japan. So in August of 2018, Microsoft's Japan subsidiary closed every Friday in August. And you would think that productivity might stay stagnant or drop. And this was in Japan where things are very like regimented. Like, Oh yeah. I, I bet very few people in Japan work remotely. It's like you go to the office, right? And you got to be there. Well, They closed their office every Friday in August in Japan and saw a 40% boost in productivity, 40% boost in productivity. Full-time employees, they were given paid leave during the closure. So they were paid the same as if they came in five days a week. And one of the other things that Microsoft did because they had less time in the office is they reduced their time spent in meetings by implementing a 30-minute limit for meetings and encouraging remote communication. Oh, so they changed two variables at once. So it may not be the four-day work week. It just may have been killing meetings. Well, and it, it could have been just killing the meetings, but you have to kill the meetings if you're going to cut your workplace by, or your time at work by 20%. Because I, I don't know, this is my personal experience, but I feel like most of the time in the office is just wasted in meetings that wouldn't happen or they'd be shorter if they were just done remotely and if they were limited. Right. How many meetings actually need to be more than 30 minutes? And if they do need to be more, maybe you could just schedule another meeting. So if, if all meetings are like an hour by default, just cutting them to 30 minutes, you probably can get the same amount done if you're just efficient. It's like today with the podcast. We're going 30 minutes or we're going to try to. We, normally we go an hour, but we probably fit in just as much good stuff. So uh, that ties into the remote work from Zapier. You know, 42% people, 42% of people in their survey say, say that they're more productive at home. It's because you're not distracted. Or did they give reasons why they're more productive at home in the Zapier survey? I feel like it's because I'm not distracted. I, I don't have the exact quote here, but they referenced about just these whole, these conversations at work, these like meetings and water cooler water talk. Cooler just, talk it all yeah. adds up, right? It just all adds up to being unproductive. The interesting thing is 52% of baby boomers said they're, they feel that they're more productive at home, but only 11% currently of boomers get to work home. Work, work remote full-time. Yeah, full-time. So that's kind of interesting. Now, um, we should say this is a survey of 880 US knowledge workers. So we're talking, you know, white collar, people who work in front of a computer. So, you know, the home office thing makes a lot of sense, right? There are some other stats in here that are really cool. You want to read those? Yeah. Uh, one of the big questions is the vast majority think the office itself will be obsolete by 2030. I don't know if I buy into that or not. Like that, that could be uh, interesting. Some scary ones for you firm owners out there. 74% of people said they would quit their current job to get a job that lets them work remotely. I've talked to firm owners who have remote accounting firms. We have talked to those owners and they say that the fully remote aspect is one of the big draws. So they're stealing staff, right? From the firms that won't let them work remote. And for those of you that are with your firms are being, hey, we have free lunches or we are going to offer unlimited vacation. Remote working is the most highly desired perk. So it, it's even more than free lunches and limited vacations. So as you're thinking about, you know, how you're mm-hmm. going to reach and hire people, remote work is really, really big. Some more stats here related to that 74% willing to quit their job to work remote. 31% would like to work remote, but their company doesn't allow it. And 26% already have quit their job for one that allows remote work. That's crazy. That's a lot. 
like a quarter of people in the survey quit their job for a job that would let them work remote. I, I've been doing it for 12, 13, 14 years now. To some extent, not always at home, but, but, but within a remote, a team that's located in another city, right? Yeah. If you want to think about it that way. So it's kind of like remote work. And I don't know how I, I don't even know how I could work not doing that way now. Like, I don't know how I could go back to, all right, we're all in the same room together, eight hours a day, clock. Like, I don't even know if I could work the other way anymore. Yeah. Um, the other one that I thought was really interesting, this ties back to, you know, um, about WeWork, only 11% of people of remote workers feel they are get more work done in a co-working space. Yeah. You don't go to the co-working space to get work, more work done. I think you go to have like people time. Cause if you spend all your time at home in the office at home, it can be kind of isolating. Yeah. So I like to go to a remote a co-working space like once or twice a week. You know, it's like going to the coffee shop. Like you like to say, David. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's cheaper. <laughs> I um, just so I have an article related to this about why remote workers are more productive. It's called Asynchronous Communication, The Real Reason Remote Workers Are More Productive. This is on doist.com. And the argument in this article is that remote workers are more productive because it forces the company and their coworkers to embrace asynchronous communication, meaning that uh, asynchronous meaning that it's not at the same time. So giving com- employees control over when they communicate with their teammates. In an office setting, I as the manager or coworker can just walk up to you, David, and you're working hard on something. You're deep in the flow. You've, you're like writing some amazing piece of content perhaps. And then I tap you on the shoulder and that pulls you out of that. And now you have to respond immediately to my concern, which may be completely inconsequential. Or even if it's important, it distracted you and set you back. And now it's going to take you a lot time to get back into the flow. Well, I think I've seen studies. It's like, it takes you at least 20 minutes to get back on track after somebody interrupts you. Right. So it's, that's one of the reasons why it's really hard to focus at work is because anybody can just, especially if you don't have your own office and you can't close the door, if you're just in an open space, people can just walk up to you, take you out of communicate, uh, take you out of your flow of, of doing the work and distract you. And so by, by having people work at home, of course, this can be a problem with like Slack and chat. and But if you have the right expectations about communication and you say, look, you just have to get back to me like in a few hours when I ask for something, or if it's really important, have a way to call people, right? Just say like, I'm going to call you if it's really important, but otherwise I don't expect you to respond to my emails immediately. People can be way more productive. Uh, and that's the argument in this article. And I, I think it's really worth a read if you're a firm owner and you want to help your employees be more productive, whether or not they're in an office or at home, just letting them embrace asynchronous communication and not have to be constantly responding to their coworkers and to their managers will really help. Yeah, because I think some of the most my most productive time is when I'm like on an airplane flight. Right? <laughs> it's, it's anywhere nobody's going to bother you yep, yep. or tap you on the shoulder. You know, if I'm at a call, I know for a fact if I'm at Starbucks, nobody's going to come and talk to me. Yep. Like it, it's in, and even though there's noise and there's action and there's hustling and bustling, nobody's trying to get my attention. And that's, that's right. I, I think the, how do you create that? If you're not going to offer remote work, how do you create that in your office? Like, is it special rooms that are soundproof that people can actually turn a lock on the door that nobody can open? Like, I don't know how you, how do, how do you create this environment? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't recommend that because I think HR would have a problem with that. But yeah. like, <laughs> the expectation that like if you close the door, then nobody's going to interrupt you would be well, good. Well, the big yeah. four will put the locks on the opposite side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, David, I got to run to the airport. So that's all the time I've got this week. Anything our listeners should know before we go? We have about four more days to get your limited edition Cloud Accounting Podcast t-shirts. The link's in the show notes. Head to the merch store. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Blake T. Oliver. How about you, David? I'm at David Leary. Have a good week and we'll talk to everybody next week. Thanks, David. See ya. All right, bye.